have a friend who is a great musician, although I haven't seen him in quite a few years now. But I remember when he made a decision to become a follower of Christ. He got involved in our church and in the worship team, and we became really tight because we were both bass players. But then suddenly, one day out of the blue, at least for me, he said he was leaving the church and he was no longer a Christian. When I spoke to him about it, the bottom line was that his experience of life and what he read in the Bible just didn't line up. He said he couldn't be true to himself and who he was and remain a Christian. And so he left. I've heard the same story over and over and over again in my years as a pastor. Recently, we've heard big names in the Christian world publicly walk away from Christianity. People like Marty Sampson of Hillsongs, Joshua Harris, who wrote I Kiss Dating Goodbye, and worship leader and songwriter Michael Gungor. But as I've gotten older, I get it, even though it does make me sad. But what do you do when your experiences of life don't line up with what you have always been taught about the Bible and about Christianity. What do you do when you feel like being true to yourself means that you have to reject what you have always been taught? Welcome to Deeply Spiritual, but Rather Uncertain. The other day, I was listening to a debate on the issue of gay marriage. Both men were Christians and both believed in the Bible. They quoted from the scriptures and they both were very intelligent. I came away realizing that which side you related to in this debate had a lot to do with the way you read, understand, and interpret the Bible. The anti-gay marriage side was completely dependent on particular verses in the Bible. Sola Scriptura, which is Latin for Scripture alone and comes from the Protestant Reformation, was mentioned twice during the debate. It was simple for him. The Bible says. On the other side, it was argued that our experience of God... And our experience of gay relationships in our culture forces us to look at Scripture differently. It forces us to at least ask the question, what if we've been wrong all this time? Is there a different way to interpret those verses? In some ways, it was more of a discussion on how we interpret Scripture than it was on gay marriage. It all got me thinking about the question of Christian truth, especially in the area of morality. How do we decide what is right and wrong? Where do our values come from? I grew up, as many of you did, with a very simple answer, the Bible. The Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. The only place we would say you can find truth is in the Bible. Many times I preach sermons with terms like absolute truth 
or ultimate truth when speaking about the Bible. But then I started to feel very uncertain about terms like that because I realized that what I was saying was that my interpretation of Scripture is absolute truth. Or even my version of the truth is absolute truth. And then if you take that to its extreme, truth isn't found in the Bible, actually. It's found in me. And that is not good. Can I claim absolute truth over the Catholic view of truth? Because there are some pretty radical differences. Can I claim absolute truth over any of the 40,000 other Protestant denominations in the world? That all feels incredibly arrogant, doesn't it? So where do I find truth? How do I figure out what I believe about sexuality or justice or violence or marriage or LGBTQI or any of a zillion issues that we deal with today? Where do I find answers to my questions and my uncertainty? Does my experience have anything to say about truth? Does the culture have any input into my finding the truth? If I said I don't think the truth is found exclusively in the Bible, what would you say? If I said I don't think the Bible is our only source for answers to life and faith, Would you write me off as a heretic? I understand the argument, though. There has to be some standard. There has to be some absolute truth that we can count on. If not, then we're just influenced by the culture around us and basically anything goes. But how do I even interpret the Bible without experience and culture influencing it? Isn't my very interpretation of Scripture based on my experience? I think it is. Let me see if I can give you an example. The story of Moses leading the people out of slavery in Egypt and into freedom is a pivotal story in the Bible. There are all kinds of metaphors and pictures of what Jesus came to do. Much of the New Testament points to that story. When we share communion in our churches, we are looking back to that story. The idea of freedom is a big deal both in the New Testament and the Old Testament. The disciple John wrote in his gospel that if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. The Apostle Paul said, it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. Peter tells us to live as free people. The idea permeates the scriptures. I grew up in privilege. Being a white male with an American passport is just about as privileged as you can get. That is my experience privileged white male. And so with that experience, whenever the Bible speaks of freedom from bondage, here's how I interpret it. Bondage is my sin. 
It's the stuff that holds me back. I'm in bondage to my anger, my addictions. I'm in bondage to the flesh, as the Apostle Paul puts it. I see bondage and freedom in terms of of spirituality, spiritual terms. But if I had grown up as a black man in South Africa who had to make sure that I had my passbook with me when I walked through a white neighborhood, my experience and my interpretation of the word freedom in the Bible would probably be very different. If in the 60s, when I was growing up in America, my parents were not allowed to take me to the same restaurants that other people got to go to, my experience and my interpretation of the word freedom in the Bible would be very different. When Martin Luther King Jr. stood on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in 1962, he quoted the words of the old slave song, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. But I don't think he was talking about being free from sin and the flesh. He was talking about being able to walk down the street without being arrested. He was talking about being able to walk into any restaurant or bathroom that he chose. He was talking about being free to vote. He was talking about freedom from oppression. When Dr. King read John saying that Jesus came to set us free, he interpreted it very differently than when I read it because of experience. There's an entire body of theology, sometimes called liberation theology or black theology, that comes from an entirely different context than what I've been taught because of experience. In black theology, almost all scripture is interpreted differently because it's seen through this lens of a person that has lived under oppression rather than privilege. Here's my point. We cannot interpret Scripture without our own experiences, prejudice, and opinions influencing the outcome. So how can that be absolute truth? My view of everything in the Bible is influenced by my experience. I can't get away from that. I can't change it. It just is. No matter how hard I try for it not to be true, it just is. So if that's right, where the heck do we find truth? What solid ground can I make my decisions on? I love Christmas. I love the story of Christmas even more than Easter. The concept of God becoming flesh moves me deeply. I love the message version of John chapter 1 when it says that God became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We call it incarnation. Christianity is built on the idea of incarnation. But it's more than just Christmas. God creates Adam from the dust, and he breathes his life into him. 
not only are we created in the image of God, but life itself is the incarnation of God. I love this passage that comes from Colossians chapter 1. Let me read it to you. The Son, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. It's verses 15 and 16. Everything was created in him. He is part of it all. God is in all. That is incarnation. Then when Jesus gathered with his disciples just before his crucifixion, he tells him that when he goes, he is going to send the Holy Spirit who will dwell in them. It's incarnation. And that spirit living in them will guide them to all truth. He doesn't say that the Bible will lead them into all truth. He says the spirit will lead them into all truth. Now, there's no doubt that the scriptures are a part of that. But the Spirit of God is incarnate in us, is alive and living in us. Everything about our faith is incarnation. So back to the question, how do we discern what's right and wrong? John Wesley, who is the leader of the Methodist movement in the late 18th century, coined today what is called the Wesleyan quadrilateral. When it comes to discerning what is right and wrong, he spoke of four things that guide us. Scripture, tradition, experience, and reason. So that moves away a bit from the sola scriptura idea, or scripture alone. He understands that tradition, experience, and reason are all part of that equation. The Orthodox Church speaks of Scripture, tradition, and the church as a three-legged stool when it comes to how we decide what's right and wrong and how we interpret the Bible. The Catholic Church would be much of the same. They begin with the church, i.e. the pope and the bishops, and they add tradition and Scripture. Richard Rohr, who is a Franciscan priest, speaks of three wheels of a bicycle. They are scripture and tradition and experience. I think all of these illustrations are helpful in coming to terms with this idea that our understanding of morality is influenced by other forces. But I still think there's a problem because often these ideas come packaged in a hierarchy both in Catholicism and in Orthodoxy, the church, the pope, the bishops trump everything else. In our evangelical circles, Scripture trumps everything else. So if my experience or my reason doesn't line up with Scripture, 
at least the way that I've always interpreted Scripture, then my experience is wrong. It's funny. It's as if we've rewritten Colossians to say that Scripture is above all and in all and through all. We humans in the West love dualistic thinking. Dualistic thinking is easy. It's either this or it's that. It's either black or white. It cannot be both. Either my experience trumps the Bible or the Bible trumps my experience. But could there be a third way? Could there be another way to look at this? So let's talk about experience versus the Bible. And I know what many of you are thinking because I think it too. Experience is flaky. Experience is so influenced by my personality and my feelings. How could I ever trust it? I'm not for a second advocating experience alone. That would be ludicrous. But I'm also not advocating Scripture alone because that is impossible. I heard a discussion the other day, and they were talking about accumulated experience. Not just how I feel in the moment, but experience that shows up again and again and again. Let me give you an example. Back in the 60s and 70s, when I was growing up, Women were not allowed in ministry unless they taught children or other women, but not men. I really thought this issue was resolved a number of years ago, but suddenly it's reared its ugly head again. I heard the other day some leaders in the Southern Baptist Convention in the States are coming down on Beth Moore because men are allowed to come to her events. And to her credit, she's pushing back. Go, Beth. But thankfully, in many circles, women in the pulpit and in ministry is a normal thing today. But I remember as a young person in the church, seeing women with gifts of leadership that far surpassed the gifts of leadership that the men had, but they weren't able to use them in the church. I saw it again and again, and every time I was a little bit more unsettled. My accumulated experience was not lining up with what I had always been taught that the Bible said. And so at that point, it was time to go back and look at the scriptures to see if we read this wrong. Were we so influenced by our patriarchal culture that we just messed this up totally? And the answer, I think, is absolutely yes. How could we have not seen this? We still have a long way to go in these issues. We are still so influenced by our culture and by history. But we have to let our experience of amazing female leaders and speakers lead the way. But what if we looked at all of life without hierarchy? What if one thing doesn't trump another thing? 
what if I look at my experience and culture and other cultures and science and art and scripture, and I tried to see the point at which all of that comes together without hierarchy. Dualistic thinking is a lot easier, believe me. I just decide that my interpretation of the Bible trumps everything and the world becomes very black and white. Or I just let my experience and how I feel in the moment trump everything and life becomes very simple. What I'm proposing is much more difficult. It's a struggle. It's a wrestling. It means that we have to go back and look at issues like women and leadership, marriage, sexuality, the death penalty, abortion, climate change, gay marriage, and we got to weigh it all up against all of life, including the scriptures, and see where it all intersects and where it all comes together. I love the way that Pete Enns sees the Bible. In his book, How the Bible Actually Works, he says that the Bible isn't meant to have all the answers, but rather the Bible is a book that shepherds us toward wisdom. It's wisdom, not answers. There's a big difference. Let me show you a crazy example in the book of Proverbs. Of course, the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about wisdom. But look at these two verses in Proverbs chapter 26. Verse 4 says, Don't answer the foolish arguments of fools, or you will become as foolish as they are. And then verse 5 says, Be sure to answer the foolish argument of fools, or they will become wise in their own estimation. Two verses back-to-back that seem to completely contradict each other. I think the writer of Proverbs is saying there's no real pat answer to this question. It's not a dualistic question. It's not either-or. He's saying it depends on the situation. You have to use wisdom in the moment in this situation, which may be different the next time. Could it be that the scriptures are not there to give us all the answers to faith and life, but rather to guide us, to bring wisdom to our situations in our time, in our culture, and in our experience? I need to wrap this up, but let me end by seeing if I can put all this together in kind of a short statement. We live in a world that is changing rapidly. And so our experience and the decisions we have to make around ethics and morality are changing as well. We have to answer questions that the generation before us never even had to ask. It's complex and sometimes daunting. So where do we find those answers? If it's in the Bible alone, then we are in trouble. Because the writers of Scripture never even dreamed these questions would be questions. 
The Bible doesn't seem to address these things. It doesn't have all the simple right or wrong dualistic answers. First, we must understand that the Spirit of God is in us. And he leads us into all truth. Then we take the wisdom of the scriptures along with our experience and science and reason and tradition and culture without hierarchy. And we allow the spirit of God to lead us. Are we going to get it right all the time? Most likely not. I know I'm not going to. But is that really the goal? I would suggest that the goal is to be open and honest before God, to wrestle with the things that are going on around us, to love people and to look to him for wisdom. Well, that's all I got this week. I hope it challenges your thinking inspires you to wrestle with these things and how you make choices around morality and life. So we'll see you next time. Shalom. Shalom.